This is Shaco Art Speak. Welcome to Shaco Art Speak. Yeah, I'm Ryan Letario. Yes, you are with Gareth Blackwell, yes, Doctor Gareth Blackwell. Hello. Sometimes, sometimes Doctor Snacksmell. What are you talking about? It's sometimes Doctor Blackwell. Yeah, that's most right. of the time Doctor Snacksmell. And we we've worked on a piece that involves snacks. We'll talk about later. Yeah, it's great. Um, which is very apropos. Um, so we're doing a. Um, an artist talk has been a little while, but yeah. we, we have a solo exhibition, mm-hmm. survey exhibition right now of a Detroit-based artist, good friend from many moons ago, Richard Haley. Mm-hmm. Do we have any, you have any info on Richard? Just yeah, yeah, people? definitely. Um, so the show's uh, just informationally, the show's going to be up from September to the end of November. Okay. So yeah, come see it in that time. And then be. what's the, uh, what's, so what's Richard the story Haley. of Richard? Richard yeah. Haley is an artist, curator, and writer living in Detroit. His work has been exhibited nationally, including the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, Performa, Locus Projects, Pensacola Museum of Art, Acre TV, and the Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts. He'll be debuting new interactive and video work this November at Burt Green Fine Art in Chicago. He recently curated a show of the unlikely pairing of David Ireland and Mike Kelly at the Elaine Jacob Gallery in Detroit in collaboration with 500 Cap Street. His collaborative writing practice with Dr. Mary Elizabeth Anderson has resulted in numerous articles published in academic journals. Articles thinking through pandemic performance are forthcoming in performance research and eventual aesthetics. It's pretty good. It's yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. So um, Richard's actually in the studio with us. Yeah, now welcome, Richard. Making it slightly awkward. Welcome, <laughs> Richard. We want to set the right tone. Uh, so how's it going, Richard? Um, fine. You, you doing okay? Yes. Okay, good. So we just ate. So the truth is, everybody, we just ate tacos. Yeah. The second time. Second. That's actually third. Me and Gareth had them. Yeah, we had them them without you, right? You did? (laughs) The first day, yeah. Okay. And uh, so tacos are on our minds. I think Mm. it's a first and foremost. Uh, Gareth, I don't know your relationship to tacos, but I know that Richard and I are from California. Mm. Tacos are quite good in California. Is this a blanket statement? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Richard, you're in Detroit, and tacos maybe don't exist as frequently there. They don't. Oh, they do. Okay. But. um, I don't, uh, they, there is a lot of tacos, mm-hmm. but, um, they don't seem to, uh, what's the word? I, I guess I don't want to bash Detroit tacos. Right. Cause there's a lot of pride in Detroit tacos. Gotcha. And people say I don't go to the right places. Yeah. And I believe I have gone to the right places. You know, what's weird is I'm always, I, I'm always told that about here in Richmond. And so I'll say, well, you, you haven't gone to the right place. And then um, the last three days, I've gone to the right place here in Richmond. That's exactly right. Yeah. And and but here's the connection. Do you know where the the uh, cook is from? Where she's from? The the one who runs the business. Yeah. Where is she from? She said she was from Mexico via Southern California. Via Southern California. There you go. And that's so, where I was born. Right. That's where you were born. Inglewood, California. My mom was born in Inglewood. Wow. That's a very. I didn't know that. Yep. That adds so much. That that adds a lot to you. That was missing for me. Um. <laughs> well, I think it's yeah. just the Inglewood Hospital. Yeah. I think my parents are living in Hawthorne. Okay. Okay. That that makes it not as interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. My, yeah. No. But uh, but seriously though. But all in all seriousness, uh, she. It's a food. It's like a little trailer mm-hmm. with the barbecue pit. Yeah. Would you smoke her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just behind really, our building. Really, and it's, good. it's the biggest gift I think we've received 
Yeah. Uh, in food, it's it's like these are real tacos. Like yeah, this is uh, what I've been waiting for in Richmond. And it's called Trees, Trees Tacos and Tips or something yep. like that. And it's fantastic. And it's an excessive amount of food. Like it she's is. comparable in prices. You pay a little bit more, but but yeah. you get what you pay for. I, I I got easily the largest burrito I've ever seen in my life. I actually think it's darn um, close. Yeah. I mean, and there's another place in Richmond that serves large burritos, and they um they at this other restaurant they call it the Chesterfield. Um, and the size of it always made me think of the sofa, not the neighborhood parts of Richmond. Yeah. So it was named after whatever, like the Chesterfield area in Richmond metro area. But, uh, I just figured it was a sofa because it was so yeah. big, but this one, um, this, this easily like, this is, this is like a family burrito. Mm-hmm. It's massive. Yeah. So anyhow, we just wanted to start there. We've all just eaten our tacos yeah gareth started his way into a burrito that is yet to be finished it may never be it may never be finished and uh so um i think it's a fitting place for us to to jump off from yeah his his tacos into uh this exhibition that we have up Mm -hmm. in chaco art space and richard so richard we we like to ask the question it's a bit formulaic we like to kind of know if we could get a little bit of your your background story what do you what do you feel up to sharing with us how did you get into, how did you get into what you do? Um, so we've covered I was born in Inglewood. Um, oh, I told you the other day, you know, my, I copied my brother. Uh-huh. My brother was the art star of Sylvan middle school okay. in Citrus Heights, California. Yep. Okay, Cause the family moved from Southern California up to suburban Sacramento. Um, <clears throat> so I copied him. Mm-hmm. He's my older brother and did everything he did. Yeah. He, so, and then there's a point where he went into, he became a butcher and you did not copy him. No, I didn't copy him. Yeah. So then there's like a point of departure. There was a point of departure, I think, but probably, yes, I followed, probably did everything he did till he was, till I was like 16 or 17. Right. Was there people around you that that were making art? Like, did you have anybody else that was reinforcing that? Like a teacher or just people like what were, oh, we like comic books or, uh, as it told my brother, um, I don't think he actually liked comic books, but he would copy, like I was telling you, the Eastman and Laird mm-hmm. Ninja Turtle comics. And then for some reason at this random junior high that apparently maybe Molly Ringwald went to, um, <clears throat> that's the rumor. That's a pretty good rumor. Uh, we had, uh, uh, there was this really good art teacher who had, um, he was like a, he's from Germany. Mm-hmm. He fled Nazi Germany and then ended up somehow in Sacramento the uh, he had an art room covered in Night Ranger posters. The band mm. I don't even know what their hit song was. Is this love that I'm feeling? Is that it? Is this <laughs> love that I'm feeling? You can Sorry. tell me almost anything, and I'd agree. Okay, but um, so yeah, he came out of like a a like you're in junior high in the mm-hmm. middle of this uh in this it was called Citrus Heights because it was just all like uh it used to just be all pheasants and citrus groves. Mm-hmm. And then there's this German who's um, exposing you to like Dadaism and stuff like that. Okay, gotcha. But this is just like you don't know that that's special till you're like in your 30s. Yeah. You're like, what happened? Right, right, right. <clears throat> so my brother took the classes and then, and this would be like the first time his name was Wolf. Wolf would like call home and say, look at, look, your brother's doing this amazing thing. So I wanted that attention too. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And then went off to high school. Right. And then for some reason, my high school, it was like an unfinished high school. It looked like a prison. Mm-hmm. Mesa Verde High School. We actually had a ceramics teacher and a painting teacher. 
So uh, a ceramics teacher named Jim, who uh, he recently, he, uh, and then, uh, and Ron was the uh, painting teacher, Ron and Jim. Ron was a, was a Vietnam vet. Um, and he would, no, that's really near here nor there. But uh, Jim, the ceramics teacher was a, uh, he was this very like weird, strange guy who um, stopped cutting his hair and shaving. He said that that needs to be his look as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so he would just wear flip-flops, jeans, and a, this dirty old lab coat mm-hmm. and had this huge, long beard and big, long gray ponytail. That is, and he uh, just wants to, and he was, so he could strike fear in the high school students. Like when they, when he'd say, if you make a bong, I'm not going to fire it. And yeah. uh, he was just this, it was like this peculiar thing. So he would have, he was, came out. So if Sacramento, the San Francisco Bay Area has this. Uh, ceramics tradition like all around like bob arneson and call like the funk movement he came out of that and yep. then you have that as a teacher in high school and, wow. and so he would have been connected to what you would have been exp- he would i think he actually went through encina high yep. with um uh, what are their names you would know yeah i'm forgetting their names right now but um, the people who wanted to be part of the harry who out of chicago yeah um 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 uh, yeah so anyways mm-hmm. uh, in high school I guess that probably eclipsed what uh, Susan, my influence. Susan, Suzanne Aiden's. Yeah. So, uh, Suzanne yep. Aiden, my, uh, my Jim has Jim Aiden. It was Susan's brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, no, wait, there's the brother in the, and then what's Suzanne's husband's name that, um, he makes the, he always makes, so he calls them, um, it's like, he calls it Duderville. Nice. And, uh, he's always making these sort of, uh, fifties kind of, skippy marionette freckle face characters that are um i don't know why i'm i need i need to satisfy this um yeah i don't i can't remember the guy's name but steve mike uh so i think you i don't know so i was exposed to that but that was but i think but you didn't know you didn't know i mean so like but you did yeah like i guess you said you didn't know it's special though but you were getting a like a really kind of more sophisticated introduction, yeah, in an unsophisticated way, I guess, or or it was in a, a practical way. It was like you didn't know that you're, yeah, who these teachers are, and and if you if you've not from if you've never been exposed to art, yep. And I think it was more or less. I thought when Michael was, Stevens, Michael Stevens, yeah, like I, when my dad's high school friends, he was a. So my dad is a mailman and he had this friend, the uh, one person that decided not to go doing like a, a blue collar trade. He became a uh, civil engineer. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of was short, shorter than I am now. Like I romanticized like what that would be him. I knew it was like that, but oh, you make bridges. Mm-hmm. And, but he actually worked in the sanitation department. But I, I thought that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to make things. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was the, I don't know. And somehow... Somehow, I guess probably uh, my brother overshadowed. And then when I was in, I, well, I'm just rambling. But um, so then I started re- learning more about the Northern California art. And, the, and then everything's out of time. So I'm in mm-hmm. Sacramento. And then I, and I'm learning about like the San Francisco Bay Area um, art from like the, I don't know what year that would have been, like 50s and 60s. And yep. thinking that that's what's happening in like 1995. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that uh, the Bay Area figurative movement was like 
was probably started earlier, like with someone like Elmer Bischoff and David mm-hmm. Park and probably was done by like the sixties, but I was thinking that was now. So like I, that's what I gravitated towards. I went to junior college and would take all the figurative painting and sculpture classes I could take. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Manuel Neri, wanted to be Elmer Bischoff. Like it was the biggest, uh, it was so exciting one day when I found out I could order, like this was like 1996, I could order this Bay Area figurative art book through the Barnes oh, & yeah. Nobles. Oh, yeah. And it took two weeks for it to come. Yep. Then it came. And then I could see all these things. And I trained myself to like work in this expressionistic style. And you didn't even ask me this. I'm just talking. No, this is actually this better is than that. This is actually exactly uh, what we're hoping for. And then I, so I, I went to junior college because I didn't know you can go to college. I was the first person in my I don't, an immediate family, all the cousins to actually go to college. Mm-hmm. So I'm in college and no one knows why I'm in college and I'm studying art. And then I, so I, then I went to university and then um, one of my uh, junior ho- college teachers was teaching there too. A man by the name of Troy Dalton, who, you yeah. know, um, and I was in Troy's, was in a figure to figure drawing class. And then I just kind of like, like hit a wall. I didn't know what to do anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. why am I doing this? Like I, I, so I can make, there's a naked person in front of me. I'm drawing, I'm painting them. And I'm just like using like these big, bold, aggressive colors to try and represent that form playing back and forth through recessional space, playing with like how far can I push the color and still have it um, be representative of a form. So I've been doing this for like, you're making a barrier. To figure <clears throat> yeah. I'm yeah. doing this for yeah. like three years and then all of a sudden I, I'm like realizing I'm like working way faster than everybody. And like, I'm just like, like, uh, I, I can't go like, I, I, I have no interest in rendering the figure out any further. I just keep making like faster and faster and how quick I can do it. So like, it became more of a game. If I could do like 20, um, like quick, like, uh, like gouache studies while this other person like spins like a uh, three hours. Mm-hmm. And then I finally like, oh, I, I didn't, I like hit a wall and then stopped doing that and started sh- looking towards other artists. Like, um, and I was in like a figure sculpting class and like the, there's this teacher was really confused. He said, he said, do you know who Manuel Neri is? And I was like, oh, obvious. That's what I'm copying. He's like, he's like, he's like, <laughs> okay, you've, you've been working. You've got the gesture over and over again. Uh-huh. Like, can you move past just the gesture in, in this form? And I was, I was like confused why I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, like I had like a crisis and then I discovered, um, so somehow I discovered Vito Acconci mm-hmm. and then like, well, this seems so much different. Like he's not making a form, but he's still dealing with a figure. Mm-hmm. And then I think that that was more like when something actually sh- clicked or shifted when I could take, when I started like maybe being more reflective and could understand, not sure if it was like. The figurative, like you'll see in my work, like in hindsight, I can connect it back because there's almost like a figure in everything I do, but it's not, uh, but I'm not a Bay Area figurative artist. Yeah. So this is not, I don't think this is really making sense, but. um, No, it's making <clears throat> But I was saying like, sense. so like Vito, understanding, like just seeing like Vito bite his arm mm-hmm. and leave his marks on himself, like that somehow resonated more with mm-hmm. me than, or maybe it was the next logical step mm-hmm. after seeing like. Uh, my pal uh, Elmer Bischoff like flay the figure down to just flat fields of color, mm-hmm. or or David Park doing the same thing. Well, what's interesting about that? Don't don't lose track on what you're saying. And let me just say this: What's interesting to me is I think as I think about what you're saying is 
in a, 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 a shorter amount of time, you're actually running through a lineage because, yeah. because of the logical ends of what Bay Area figured it was bringing about uh-huh. both there and other places with abstraction, then you get, you get, you get Vito Acconci doing that. Mm-hmm. Like there's actually is a direct link in terms of points of departure and, you know, with the Kooning and, uh, ex- abstract expressionist figurative work. So it's just interesting that you, you're in a microcosmic way, you were actually running up to running through art history, but with a sincere intention of I'm this and now, now what do I do? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Just oh, to say that's it, very interesting. And it was super naive too. Cause like, I didn't know anything like mm-hmm. I said, like I, like you're, especially if you're in Sacramento, you're seeing everything's like swirling at the same time, like mm-hmm. all these different isms different uh different generations and then i had no idea what was happening in like at that moment like like Mm -hmm. that moment in san francisco was like was like the mission school or the pigeon school it was like a that's when like barry mcgee and um now i'm gonna lose all the names of these people that were that were uh like uh would be like showing like at the luggage store in san francisco then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they pop up and i can't remember the guy's name He's the the big uh, obey. No, the gallery guy. He's he's Deitch Deitch yeah, projects. That's like, right. And there's like this joke that I found out like 15 years too late was that there was there was a tunnel from the luggage store to a uh, Deitch projects in New York that it compressed <laughs> the uh, 3,000 miles across both coasts. <laughs> and like I had no idea that was going on or what that was or anything. Right. And then by the time I like I was actually like cognizant and aware was I think we'd moved on to social practice took over the barrier. Yep. And so that would have been, so you, you, you make the shift. So you're at, you're at Davis. Yes. Yeah. UC Davis. And who was there? Who was there? Annabeth Rosen, uh, Conrad Atkinson. He's this Mm -hmm. British guy who would show up every once in a while. And like, you can find him in some old history books. He was like doing super political art in like the eighties. Yeah. Like, um, Lynn Hirschman. Mm Mm-hmm. Wayne Tebow would teach one class a year. Mm-hmm. Um, Emeritus. Yes. That, yeah. Lucy Poles. But any of the like Bay Area people that were there mm-hmm. were gone. So yeah. Robert Arneson was gone. Uh, yeah, he would have died in like 96. Yeah. Um, Manuel Neri, I think, was actually dead too. Yeah. Uh, Roy DeForest was gone. Uh, William Wiley was gone. So there was a history there. It was like a simmering you got there and it, it was sim- the the past was simmering. There was like the, the, the past, yes. It, yeah, it was a simmer. A, it had gone lukewarm. Yep. There was yep. a there was still a connection of the path and the past and the people there were those people are gone. Yeah, There's something new is happening weird, here. Yeah, the weird thing about Davis when I was in Sacramento is it, it retained the a kind of a um reputation, but there was it wasn't warranted within the like what was actually happening there. Yeah. No. So there was a total disconnect um, between those two, and for some reason, that really, that was like a really curious and, and interesting thing for me. It actually affected like how I made decisions about where I was going to go to school. Um, but so you're so you're in you're in Davis, and then then you what why sac because we met at we both did our MA in studio art at CSU Sacramento. Yes. So what what uh. Why Sacramento? How did that happen? How like, that why happen? did you go to? So, why why the MA? Like, how did you even hear about that program? Because oh. it's such a, it's such an odd it was such an odd time. We were there 
And I, I honestly think a really unusual time. Okay. See, I finished my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Super naive. Was yeah. making um, very awkward art. Uh, like I didn't know what to do. Like I just like one, I had, uh, they were on a quarter system. So you did 180 credits instead of 120. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I've got 180 credits. Exactly. Uh, I guess I'm graduating. And then stupidly, like I, let's see, what did I do? I, I tried moving to New York without knowing anybody. Mm-hmm. And that lasted like a month. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, this was, I lived in uh, Harlem before it became gentrified. Wow. Uh, in Sugar Hill. Yeah. So that, that helps. Uh, so I lived in Sugar Hill for one month yeah. in 2001. I was born in Inglewood and lived in Sugar Hill. Um, went, went back home to Sacramento. Uh-huh. Uh, waited tables, um, worked, uh, as an, as a volunteer docent for public art fund in Sacramento, mm-hmm. um, needed to do something. And, um, the person I'm married to, they, uh, found out you could go to Sac state and they just let you into a master's program as undeclared. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could just like enroll in graduate classes. And then they, then you had like a whole year to get into the program. So you could start taking classes. So she did it one semester and I found out that they had a master's in art at Sac State. It wasn't an MFA, but then, and then, uh, so I, I, it was undeclared and then they let me in mm. and there was this, uh, and first I was super cynical about it because mm-hmm. I knew Lisa Prettle mm-hmm. who's, who was there and she said, Oh, it's the tuition was dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. And he got a really nice studio. So I went, the tuition was dirt cheap, but I didn't get a really nice studio. I had to wait a year. Yep. Um, so that's why I went. I just, cause gotcha. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't have a portfolio, like the work I had, like I had Burt Reynolds away. bananas. Yeah. The Burt Reynolds bananas weren't going to get me that far. And yeah. they were, a, they were a start, but, um, but that's it. Yeah. I think you're the person that got that, uh, introduced, putting a racing stripe on my work to make it competition ready. I think that was you. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I think it was. Um, <laughs> You'll see there is a, in the show, there is a, there is a piece that's shaped. It's a, it's um, uh, what's it called? And I don't think I ever told you this. So there's a, a, a plaque made of butter uh-huh. on a building and it's shaped. That was my response to your shaped canvases. Oh, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> You have to go back and look at that now. <laughs> Obviously, it, it didn't look right. I like tried to make it more, yeah, for, have more form. But clearly, I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to form. <laughs> um, but that was my response to you and Jake when you guys were working with hard edges and shaped canvases. Yeah, shaped canvases. Yep. Um, yeah, that was the whole thing. There, I got I got a handful of people to start doing hard edges. But I, but you're the one that you're the one that told me to put a racing stripe on something or you told me to, yeah, you said it was, it would made it, it would make it competition ready. And that was it. Like, I just was like, I'm putting a stripe on this. And, uh, I, I mean, it has some kind of, unless I'm false memory, but I'm pretty sure. No competition happened. ready is something I would have said. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it was early when I, uh, close to early when I first met you. So, um, oh gosh, I, was, I had, I had one more, one more thought for you. I wanted to hear you expand on it and I can't think of what it was. Um, yeah. So you're okay. So you're at, you don't know why you're there, but it's cheap. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. So am I allowed to ask about projects that you've done out that you were doing outside of visual art? 
you you open to talking about um, the white stripes or uh, white stripes. Yeah, like they, they um, uh, like you were doing things before, maybe before some other bands were doing things. No, those. Uh, you, am I? Am I? Wasn't it like a drum and a guitar? Oh no! Uh, yeah, I used I I played in a, a band yeah. with my wife. Yeah, she played drums. I played guitar, and it was more aggressive than. You came and saw us once. Yeah, you saw two bands. Was it? Yeah, there was one with a. a um, never mind. Um, yeah. No, no, uh, you said white stripes. So, so that's the weird thing that. Um, because uh, you guys were doing it, doing the doing something, and then the white stripes showed up. Oh no! And they I took the. Uh, no, uh, I we went and saw them. Oh, it was the opposite way around. Like I was like I was like twenty, and okay. they played to, at a bar. Like yeah. I was in a different band okay. that opened for them. They played in a bar to like eight people, uh-huh. and uh, and they had to be middle bill, and they were angry about that. Uh-huh. And I remember, and this is way off topic. No, 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 I won't talk about that. Um, yes, yeah, so I was like, wow, that that's exciting. So. So I said, I can, I can play guitar. Mary can play drums. Yeah. Uh, I don't, why do we need any more people in the band? It just happened to be that it happened to be the same, uh, guy, girl, not, not dude, dude, or, right. Right. Or, or they, they, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. I just like thinking about that. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to, (laughs) no, we got the, I got it clarified, I guess. I, my memory, my memory inverse on that a little bit. I still have one of your albums somewhere. Okay. I saw it recently. Um, yeah. So. So uh, that was, well, I guess I just think like that, that, uh, I, I think I forgot that you ever were, were interested in painting as far as like trying to, to be a painter. And I just think it's interesting the way you've, you've kind of circled around the music was a thing. I don't know. When I look at what you're doing now, I feel like, uh, all I mean, that, all that is somewhere in what you're doing now. Okay. No, I mean, the, it would go, if you went to talk about music, it was again, copying my brother. Gotcha. So my brother got a guitar, so I got a guitar. Yeah. So like he's my older brother. Yeah. He got a guitar. So I so I okay, I'll learn to play guitar. Right. Um he played in a band. So okay, I need, I can do that. So I guess that's the good thing about having an older brother. He yeah. paves the way and then makes you you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So you can you can uh yeah. Yeah. What a weird I guess maybe yeah, it's like your 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 dad's a mailman. And then you're like, you're doing like really crazy performance art or something. I mean, it's just a totally different world. But um, so then you get to Sac State, and yeah, yeah got you got any recollections of that or any? I mean, it's it's an interesting time. Oh yeah, I mean, it was a. Did it, you know? Steve, did you know about Steve? Nope. Okay. I so there's the man Steve Kaltenbach. Who I don't. Have you talked about Steve on the podcast? We, we've talked about we, Steve a little bit. Yeah, yeah. in different so, ways. So Uncle Steve or Pappy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you show up to Sac State, this program that nobody knows about. It's an MA. It's this weird program. So they never made it an MFA. And MFA was, MFA didn't, wasn't a thing before, but this was mm-hmm. like supposed to be a one-year program to train uh, junior college teachers because the CSUs are supposed to be teaching college, colleges to produce teachers like after like the – World War II boom. Mm-hmm. So we need K-12 teachers. We need junior college teachers. And so this program was still kind of left over like that. It's supposed to be one year, 30 units, but it was taught like just like an MFA. Yep. They gave you, you had to earn <laughs> your, uh, earn it. you had to earn your really, the really nice studio. Um, and then like there's happens to be this like 
confluence of really interesting people mm-hmm. at this program that nobody knows about. Um, and one of them was the artist, Steve Kaltenbach, who, um, or was, you know, I mean, he doesn't teach there. He's yeah. still alive. <clears throat> and I had no idea who he was. I didn't know he's this person that like is tied to all the art I'm super interested in all this. all like, so, so like I mentioned earlier, I discovered Vito Acconci, uh, him and Vito Acconci are pals in the sixties. Yep. And so then I just like, and they did work together. He, Bruce Nauman is, yeah, he works with Bruce Nauman and I know that Steve, um, he, I've uh, figured out that he does actually have in one of his time capsules where he tried influencing Vito. Um, so he has done, never, that's, I guess a different story. Um, what am I talking? Oh, so just, yeah, you end up at this regional school that nobody knows about and thinks is a joke. And then you get these amazing professors. It's like a buried treasure. Yeah. There's like, there, there's, there's all the problems of any college. But then there's like these various gems of, of people like Oliver Jackson is there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then, yeah, it's, it's like even even just to say like Joan, Joan Bowman's there and she did have a, a big show, solo show at the Whitney. And so like there's these people that have done things and uh, and my story is similar in that I was ignorant. I was just utterly naively stumbling into it like I didn't know what I was doing. I just was like, well, I'll just go there. To go to because because to to go study art is just to go study art somewhere. Uh-huh. It, that's I so and it's far enough away from Los Angeles, which makes total sense if you're going to be an artist is to move <laughs> away from Los Angeles. But I was moving away from my family, so I was like, okay, I got to get far enough away so I can kind of start fresh. And and you study here like anywhere else. And I didn't realize that I had kind of walked into a very um, short window of time because Steve was going to be retiring soon. Oliver was retiring. Um, Linda was there for a moment. Um, Jack Ogden, I think had just retired. Like there's all these like people that are, you know, somewhat interesting, really good. And there's all this intense family debate. Uh-huh. Yeah. These, uh, historical debates happening within real people that, uh, really either love or hate each other. And it's creating a really tense environment. And so then we're all in grad school in the, the tail middle end of the, the close of that actually. Yeah. And it was, and yeah, the, the close of it was an odd place to be mm-hmm. like, cause then people are, who have been there for a while are burnt and then they're like, they know they're on their way out. And then they have this like moment of like trying to assert their authority or mm-hmm. something as in, um, we call them the rusty three. I won't name any names. But, yeah. There's the rusty three, but there was the rusty three who were the most, um, uh, obvious a lot about, of big rusty sculptures about uh, like trying to assert their authority one last time before yep. they they retire like like the common area between the studio studios and like uh and then like the person one of the rusty three coming in and chastising us and we just sit there all the time we're not making work and they're super confused like yeah we're making work all the time and then you come yeah, back. sleeping there and then you get in trouble for sleeping there and you come back the next day and and his last uh heroic act to be an art teacher is to throw away the couches oh put them in the gosh. dumpster i remember that he <laughs> oh my gosh that was a big a big thing where he was so upset that nobody made work anymore so nobody he's like no one's ever here and it's like he's the same person that actually berated me for brushing my teeth in the bathroom because yeah. I'd, I'd been sleeping at the studio mm-hmm. and we, I shouldn't be sleeping there. And I'm like, well, I'm making work. And uh, yeah, he threw all the couches away because he, he said that all we do is sit around in the couches, which is like not true. Um, 
and that just makes me think completely derailed. But there was a thing called um, we, I think Steve Steve Bodinay called it the E deuce, and it was the <laughs> so <laughs> you walk you walk from one room to another, and there's a big sink, mm-hmm. and then there's a bathroom on the left and the right, mm-hmm. and then you go past the right right side bathroom, and it's a hallway, and then there's just a toilet in the middle of the hallway <laughs> with a sink, and so. You get to there, and then there's you realize that there's actual doors on both sides. But this is the hallway into the common area, into all these studios from another classroom. So it's like a breezeway. It's like a pathway, right? With so a you, toilet. Yeah, with a toilet. Yeah. And every now and then, somebody would use what we call the e-deuce, the extra, bat, the extra deucer. So every now and then, you'd be trying to get to your studio, and the door would be locked. <laughs> Anyhow, what just, a fantastic just, marvel of architecture! Yeah, because that was an old. It was an old fish. Like, what was it? What was the ASL? What was the building? It was an old fish hatchery, or I have no idea. Yeah. It's just like a corrugated metal building. Yeah, it was, it was really fish, hot. And yeah, sweaty. it was an old fish fishery or something before. Was it like a, it was like cobbled together like over time sort of thing? Like yeah, so add there was on an add on. Yeah, there was add. So yeah, so you so the where the studios were, they were extra add ons. Gotcha, and yeah. just over and just up. To I guess I don't know if those east west. There's a levee, then the Sacramento River. Yeah, oh, wow. just on the other side. It was kind of it was kind of great. I mean, I used to go, <laughs> I used to go paint the Sacramento River, leave my studio, and go sit on the rocks and paint the river. Um, it's, it was really kind of a magical place, and I was too much of a, a knucklehead to appreciate it for what it was. Mm. I think I that's there. everything. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Or especially, I guess, if, or especially if you're like under thirty. Yeah, and you're you're there. And I mean, it's like, what is it? It's, it's grad school. And so you've, you went through undergrad now you're a grad student and now your world's been shrunk mm-hmm. and you're just looking for, I don't know, it's not, there's the people on your committee and you have to get through them. So they get, yep. are given, they're ordained with a higher power Yep. and you're like, uh, and you all of a sudden you regress yep. back to being like six. Yep. And it's horrible. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, they're holding a power over, mm-hmm. over you and your thinking, and you're contending with what he's talking about, and then um, the doubt, the doubts are extreme, and uh, yeah, that's that's the word that where you don't have. I imagine when you're a child, I say like, I often refer to grad school like being infantilized, but it's more it's the doubt that's yeah. sewed into mm-hmm. you. You don't get that the. Uh, the breakdown of like making you think is this actually any good instead of just working through it yeah and and then, and then i mean not to it's just we've we've i don't think we've had this this particular conversation on the, the podcast so i think it's worth it yeah but we so the, um the doubts are actually uh as i've gotten further away from it um projections mm-hmm. uh a lot a lot of times from the insecurity of the um the, the, the folks that are on your committee. Not only that, but it's it's kind of out of a limited set of resources for them and an uncomfortability in, in their their ordained position. Like yeah. they don't always have the resources to give you what you need. So they default to saying cliches and things that uh, were said to them, things that that um are safe for them to say uh without revealing too much about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so you get into this kind of weird space. And every now and then you get someone who's who breaks open and actually engages you like a real person. And so that was like the kind of the weird, my love and hate experience with that, that place. Yeah. Um, I know that, uh, grad school experience, there was a lot of deflection 
yeah. uh, from faculty members. Uh, so it was uh, genuine questions, like searching questions from me that were then met with, uh, well, why do we care about this? And it's like, you can answer the question. Mm-hmm. You can give me some resources. You know, you could do your job as a mentor on a faculty. Um, I think very rarely I found individuals who were happy to be like, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know either. Yeah. But here's a few things. Here's a direction you could go. Here's mm-hmm. a way to move forward. Um, yeah. So it, it shows a, a bunch of doubt mm-hmm. because I think, you know, answering a question with a question, like there's necessarily an amount of doubt in there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, purposefully doing that. Um, because I, I don't have any problem with somebody so in doubt in my mind if it's good and productive, right? If it's a generative thing uh, in terms of like questioning what you believe, questioning assumptions, you know, rethinking things. Like that's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah. But it was kind of a, I don't know, it's different. I mean, you know, and it might have been, it, you know, it's people pulling from their own experiences. So we had like we had someone who went to Yale who um, liked to bring some of what they thought. It was like a um yeah i know you're talking yeah i don't know so i don't know if she because i don't know how much you interacted with no you definitely interacted with her oh yeah I interacted. oh yeah but she for some reason she liked me i'm not she sure why it. because right. uh that's I, right she i have this like weird you. experience where like uh like i made some rude work that your pal um uh fiasco brent really liked yep and he thought it was hilarious yep and then if you would have made it she would have been angry at yes. you but then she wanted to talk to me about the merits of it yeah Yep. I'm not sure why. She's the one that told me um, I wasn't willing to die for my art. The I, day I, the day I found out I had liver disease was the day she told me that and she had no idea. I'll never forget it. She said, I just don't believe you're willing to die for your art. And it doesn't look like that. And I was like, yeah, I actually just found out I have liver disease because I've not been doing well. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. so strange. The interpersonalness of that place, man, was a very weird, a very weird thing. A very weird thing to separate out. Um. And that's, that's, I think that's the dysfunction that probably gets sewn into the, mm-hmm. like, that's what sews into the, your doubt. And so what's crazy is you end up adopting someone else's baggage. Yeah. You or I, you can, I did. I mean, I, so when I went to, so I don't know. So getting to, you, you went to Davis after, for your MFA, I went to um, VCU after my MFA. But I, what I realized is like, I had brought those voices with me into <clears throat> a new MFA program. Oh, well, so I did not. So we did the MA that was like an mm-hmm. MFA and I yeah. didn't want to go to school ever again. Mm-hmm. And then, so I finished uh, the MA and then I didn't know what to do again. I'm like back to square one. <clears throat> so I'm, I was uh, uh, working at Utrecht with you mm-hmm. and I was uh, working with, um, at a school for children with autism. And, uh, oh my gosh, that's right. And I was working as a uh, bus boy. Uh, and then eventually bar back at a sushi restaurant. So I was the 27 year old bus boy, which was humiliating. And I think that made me um, just like out of the blue apply to um, back to go to school. I, I remember working at Utrecht and us looking at grad schools. And I, I was just like, I, cause I didn't know what to do again. I was like, I can't like, like it was like the, the working with children with autism was mm-hmm. like really interesting and was rewarding but I didn't have the, I wasn't, didn't have the training and it was just, they would, I had worked with kids like teaching art to fourth graders for like an hour once a week after mm-hmm. school. I'd done stuff like that. So they gave me the job. And, um, and so I wasn't, that was a very, very difficult job. Mm-hmm. And then there was like, again, the humiliation of, 
of being 27 and a bus boy. Mm. Um, so that made me just like apply back to school, like just randomly out of the blue. And then, um, the person we're talking about who said he wouldn't die for your art told me I had to apply somewhere. If she was going to write a letter of rec for me, I had to apply to somewhere fancy. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'll apply to Columbia. And I mm-hmm. never sent in the application. I just applied back to what I knew, like, mm-hmm. I guess out of being, I don't know if it was being, it was probably scared, but at the time I just knew that Davis was like their MFA program was super hands-off that mm-hmm. I could just hide yeah, and just do whatever I wanted. But I think in hindsight, it was clear. I didn't want to, I wasn't willing to like put myself out there to apply to a known, a, right. a known program. I was only willing to apply what I did know and yeah. something that was running on the fumes of its, um, like it was like a known as like a number one school in like 78 Right. And right. so 2005, it's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny when she, I uh, had a dinner with Monteith and Wetzel and Roger Vale. She was there. And I said, uh, they said, so are you, you going to school somewhere? I said, yeah, I applied to X, Y, and Z. And um, she said, oh, VCU, That's that was like, uh, that was a backup school. When we were going to grad school, that was a backup school. I was like, well. Uh, it's a pretty good school right now. I think I don't think it's a backup school anymore. And they all kind of poked fun at my decision to go to VCU. And uh, yeah, anyhow, but um, they're, they're probably wrong about that. But, uh, but you know, you know, what's interesting is I, I, I found that um, I think that's probably what I miss in some ways is some of that dysfunction. Cause it was, uh, you could, you could push on it. Or it's, it's, I don't have that now. Like you don't have that now. It's different. It's just very different now, at least for me and my experience. Like I love that people actually had ridiculously strong opinions. Um, you know, Robert Brady hit my painting in my, he hit my painting. He like, hit a painting in my thesis. Like with uh, like defense, a, like with a punch? Like, yeah. like, like literally? Like, like this. This oh, is okay. effing dead. And he, and he, he backhanded my painting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you, I don't, I'm pretty sure I've probably told you that, but yeah, that happened. I mean, I can, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, knowing who he is, I, yep. I, I, in my mind, like I wasn't at your, your MA defense, but yeah. in my mind he had done that more than once. Yeah. He, he, <clears throat> um, well, yeah, he got, he got on me. They got on me after that, after I made the shift in my work uh-huh. that just, for some reason that upset everybody. And, uh, and then other things that were happening with my own perspective on life those two things i think upset a lot of people there was like a feeling of betrayal or something i guess but um but yeah this was like the last jab mm-hmm. so there was like a there was an effort to get me uh to fail out mm-hmm. and i was told that by uh monteith so he said you have to just keep working there's really nothing you can do but you have to make so much work that no one can say anything mm-hmm. yeah so that's what i did that, that's so why when did they take I'm yeah. just like yeah. baffled like, like why yeah. would that why would that be their mission? And you know who do you know who do you want to know who defended me? You'll never you'll never guess of all the people who actually took the strongest offense for my work. Andrew Conley. Oh Circus I I yeah. don't know why I call him Circus Vargas but Yeah. I, I totally have, I mean you were there had no, nothing to do with him like we didn't we didn't really get along too well but he he actually had a moment of of just being principled. Like his principles kicked in and he was like, I don't agree with what's being said here. I think what's happening here is wrong. And for some reason I had composure. So, and I don't know how, cause I cried afterwards. I, I sat in frustration and cried. Cause I was like, this was so wrong. 
and I, I, I had told Robert, I said, Robert, if you want to, um, and Sarah, I said, if you, if you want to do this, I think you're just trying to get me upset. So I'll, I'll, I'll lose my cool. And I said, but if you want to have an artful conversation about what my work is and is not doing, um, uh, I'm glad to do that. And he was so flabbergasted that, that I didn't get upset, but I was, I was holding back tears and, uh, yeah. And so then, and so then, um, I had to wait a long time. Uh, and so there was clearly some kind of debating going on. Andrew Conley is the one that defended me. I thought maybe Tom would or, or Wessel. No, it's just Andrew and, uh, Sarah flower with a biggest smirk on her face, kind of reveling in the fact that I was pretty upset, said, uh, congratulations, you passed. And I was like, get me out of here, you know, get, get me way far out of here. Um, but you know, yeah, it's a weird time. It was a weird time. It was a very intense place. Um, I think it's cause it was like a lot of big personalities and small. So I thought that was normal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you went to get away. I assume that was normative. Like you, you went knowing that there, this wasn't necessarily like you went to somewhere where you're like, it's going to be hands off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then what, so for me, I went somewhere where I expected more of the same, but just from better people. Uh-huh. So I thought, oh, this is like this number one art school in the country. It's going to be the same, but more of it in much smarter people. And it, <laughs> it wasn't anything like that at all. It was completely <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just didn't want to, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I was like, I, I wanted to still make things and I wasn't, uh, I guess, brave enough just to, yeah just to leave the sacramento area i don't know yeah so so your work so some of the themes in your work um the the show that's up right now is from 2003 yeah to 2021 so some of the work in this show is from this time period we're talking about yeah there's one there's one i guess i have to think i mean because there's some pieces that so when i was in grad school my my goal used to just be is make as much work as possible mm-hmm. and um and like misunderstanding things like Steve would say, like Uncle Steve would talk about, it's fine if you make a bad work. And so I just like I would just like let and that's just like a pair a horrible paraphrasing. So I just make anything and just let it be. Mm-hmm. And then once I finally left school in 2007, then I, then I would work on something that could why I would work on something for more than a month. I'd work mm-hmm. on something for a year. Or pieces that go multiple years. So I'm trying to, what, um, so yeah, so I, I don't know how that's relating to, like, there is a piece that's from Sac State from 2003, my very first semester there. Yeah. And then I remade it. So I made the work in 2003, never even, uh, I could probably find an actual slide of it, maybe in a box in my basement. Right. But I, I clearly don't have it. And then when you guys offered me the opportunity, I was like thinking about that other space and what kind of work I could. And then I remade it and I have no idea what that means to remake a work 18 years later. Yeah. It doesn't look, it's, I, it's, I don't know if it doesn't, it kind of looks the same, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It, it's, it's way different. And then there's, um, is there, I'm trying, I now I'm like having a headache and thinking about the dirt that's in there that I have to yeah. deal with. And maybe I'm having a taco headache. Yeah. Or like too much meat. Um, You're sweating. Not yet. Yeah. I'm just okay. like I keep burping and I'm 
fairly, I know the microphone's picking it up. So yeah. there's a lot of meat burp in this. Well, that's why we opened up with how much we ate tacos. So like wherever <laughs> this conversation goes, we had built in a excuse. Yeah. Yeah. So the excuse, excuse is built in. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying to think of what, like, so there's other works. There was some works. There's even like, I was trying to make, so like there's some works that I've, that I like, so after, after going through school, trying to make as much work as possible, mm-hmm. almost doing that same thing to you. Like, mm-hmm. well, no one can say anything to me if I just have like too much work. If, yep. if you look in my studio and I have this much work and you look and say I have like 30 pieces and they have one mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just thought I could win. Yeah. I could win my way through, not necessarily the work would be good, but they would just leave me alone. Yeah. And so it wasn't until after grad school that it slowed down. And then I was, there was like three pieces that I tried to make that I've, that I've, I guess, been working on for like 10 years that I've made versions and maybe I've shown some versions, but they're not right. I didn't want to bring those versions here. And I tried to get them before the show, but they did not make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I forget your question was. Oh, no, just, no, just kind of thinking. I guess I was trying to, I, I was like a pivot into the work, but also like realizing that there's the, um, I said this, and this may, I realized, or at this moment, this may have, this may feel like it has bad connotations, but it was not meant to. And I wrote that in some ways your work has a kind of faithful futility, which is, is a way of saying it's, it has a kind of um, enduring, this is the wrong way, this is the wrong word, but it's like some kind of enduring aspirational thing. But there's other things too. So it's not just that. But then it's like, what's interesting is seeing that into, like seeing these uh, um, kind of cumulative things. Um, mixed media like uh, mutually pushing off of each other moments so there's performance there's photography there's like drawing or writing there's sculpture like there's video and so all these things are are together and pushing on each other and then there's these things that these themes or ideas that are uh, these concepts that are are being pushed through and I think what's impact like what's been impactful for me is that some of these ideas have elongated over 18 years and it's in 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 not in not in a way that is redundant or uncritical, but also, um, you can't know that until eighteen years later. Like you can't know that when you're seeing a work in two thousand three or seven. So something about this show has been just seeing it, just putting it up has just been uh, kind of. Uh, there's a lot for me to think about. Just knowing you personally, but also I have a vivid memory of all the critiques we sat through, all the discussions we have or we had in listening to people wrestle with your work. And I feel like it's a different thing now to see this work mature and persist. Uh-huh. And um, I think it compl- like time and distance and duration changes that conversation 20 years ago or 18 years ago in a, com- in a, in a, a serious kind of way. Um, I don't know what that means to say that it's just an observation of, you know uh, what I'm seeing and then thinking about, this this kind of milieu and uh-huh. then you move to like i moved to richmond and you're moving to pensacola at the same time right uh-huh. I, mean, I think we moved the same like the same exact time yeah uh, yeah i think we were traveling in two different directions um why did you go to pensacola again i can't remember um, there... i finished grad school yeah and i was uh i, I got married in grad school don't ever do that right. oh you i mean you got married before grad school yeah um uh and then I have uh, a wife and she went to Australia. That's right. And mm-hmm. I was like figuring out what to do. I could have gone to Australia. I, f- someone offered me really cheap studio space in Berkeley. 
California, which was just like 50 miles from where I was, 50, mm-hmm. 60. And it would be much, there'd be way more artists. And I was thinking, okay, I guess I could do that. This was like a, a good studio for like only like 300 bucks a month. And add actual natural light in it. And then out of the blue, uh, a grad from like two years before who actually was from Pensacola and had went back home. Like just, I got a group email. Anybody want a job? We need someone to teach foundations. That's right. And then, um, and I said, I, I, uh, I applied and then I, and they, uh, and then just, they had flown out to San Francisco. So I just met him and it was pretty much, I show up and say, you want, you can have the job. Uh, um, so I took it. Yeah. I thought that would be a good idea, which I don't know if it was, I haven't decided in hindsight what it, if it's a good or bad idea. Yeah. So I guess time, I haven't had enough time to decide that it was something that happened. Right. Right. I mean, it was, I went there. I met some friends that I've stayed in touch with and it was really odd. Like it was like a, a position where I was actually called something I actually had a title, but I was being paid like poverty, impoverished yeah. wages. And it was really weird. I was there and I made a ton of work and I would be working alongside my students. Like I would teach them and they'd be working in the studio. Then I'd be working my own work because I had a tiny apartment and then there was the school I had this and I just like literally to make work next to them and leave, put my, uh, and like they'd put their work in storage. I put mine in storage. It was very odd. Wow. I mean, I had an, I had an office and I'd share it with somebody else and the office was like stuffed full of work and I'd use that as a studio too. Um, yeah. So that kind of, that probably, I mean, that, that's the kickoff to you. I mean, we didn't, I don't think we mentioned it, but you, you're teaching now. So yeah. It's somehow folded into your, like it is for us. It's kind of folded into your experience exhibiting work, but all, making work and writing about it. I mean, you're doing, you've mm-hmm. done a quite, quite a, uh, a wide range of things as far as curating shows, writing about work and then yeah. teaching. So it's a, a strange relationship to the institution. I guess you could say like that weird dance of, doing a little bit of everything yeah and the institute like i've i've been able to curate shows and that was because institution like gave me the opportunity because it was really odd no one else wanted to do that yeah so like like it was like they couldn't get people to be on the exhibitions committee mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then if you get on the committee you can curate a show yeah and when you can have a space that's like a and you can bring in other artists and if you can get them to do it cheap mm-hmm. then you can bring in really great artists mm-hmm or find extra money if you can i don't it's a so yeah the institution is good and bad and and it's it can be like a lifeline and if you can hold on and like even if you're like like i'm in your boat and and gareth mm-hmm. i'm on a non-tenured person who you persist and you um try to navigate through the system and try and carve out your own space and try not to offend anybody and just like be over here mm-hmm. and, and out of the, the fray and do what you can. Yeah. So what's it like making now for you in the midst of that? Like, how does that, how is that experience different now? I it's, mean, Oh, it's, it's not. I mean, I think it's just like a thing. Like I always make things. That's just right. what you do. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing, I mean, it's like I have children, mm-hmm. I have a job, and so, um, so you make stuff, and I think it's, um, I don't know if it's harder to be 
critical of your, I think it's probably harder to be critical of my own work to like have that distance. Mm-hmm. So now that all the work's up here, like this is like, I haven't ever shown this much work. Mm-hmm. So that's it's like 74 pieces. So my, so I'm already, so I'm already looking at what needs to be changed and like, Oh, I should have changed this in this work, this, and mainly, I think all of it is like the main thing right now, I think is issues of scale, mm-hmm. like how back to what, how that would change the pieces. Right. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. So this, I mean, for our listeners, this is the first time we've had a show that actually our, our main gallery is 2,500 square feet. This is a, a pretty big space for most artists um, to kind of tackle, like just in our experience. And then we have our second space, which is another, the gallery is like another a thousand square feet or something yeah. like that. So this show is of Richard's work is spans both spaces. So it's a um, pretty large exhibition. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty serious exhibition in scope and scale. And that's one of the reasons why we've done these kinds of shows in the past is because I think artists oftentimes don't get a chance to, to do what you're talking about. Like there's a, it's hard to, when you get out of school, it's hard to get distance from your work. It's hard to even have, um, like the studio visits become more of a support to each other that almost overrides the criticality a little bit that uh-huh. maybe you get in, in grad school, the friendships, you know, it's, everybody knows they're it's the odds are stacked against you. So you're it tends to be much more supportive between uh, it's hard to find critical discourse. And so um, what we found is like this space has helped artists kind of um, see their work uh, afresh critic critically. Because oftentimes you can you don't get to see it all in its totality this way. I'm sitting here thinking about the thing that crossed my mind with this conversation is, you know, the experience you have with making. Um, you know, you always have kind of like the field of your work kind of within your head, but there's this kind of uh, you know this experience of making an object and kind of living with it on a one to one, and then over the course of a career, being able to look at something like this. And say, oh, these all live together in some way. They've all kind of come out of my head in a certain way. Um, and, and I don't know if there's like unexpected, like unexpected interactions that you've kind of found in the work, or or are there themes that were not like maybe front of the brain themes that you were really kind of working through that have only you only like start to see them as the pieces like exist together over time. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the wonderful things because we were. Ryan and I were talking about the the weirdness of the fact that so many people we go to school with like just kind of stop, like stop making yeah. after a period, and they so they never have that that space mm-hmm. to say what does my work look like as it ages, as it uh-huh. becomes like adult work instead of like the infant work that we bring into the world, but something else, and that's that's the thing. Like uh, I don't know if maybe it's just the the point of time in my life that I kind of am thinking through now, like what does work look like? Because, uh, last three years, I guess my work shifted in a lot of ways. There were things that I just stopped caring about making. Uh-huh. I don't have anything to do with anymore. Um, and then things I like. And so I'm, I, it just, yeah, just kind of thinking through what that's like. I don't know if you have any sort of thoughts about that or anything. I, Oh, but the show is very like, um, so I got stuck into teaching digital work and I've always considered myself, if I was to ever say like I have training, I'd consider myself a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And so everything is most staring at a screen. And then this like past few months preparing for the show, like actually 
physically making things with my hands has been uh, like a, a big like shift and altering and mm. like and so some of the stuff that I made with the hands aren't some of the stuff I made isn't going to be shown, um, but um, like it's almost like a like a, what was I missing or like or or like the making the 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 the, the the act of making and touching became something that I, that we used to be so important and somehow mm-hmm. it, it lost and I didn't realize somehow I had been make. So it's really odd to see, I, I can point out where, where I stopped, where things were existing on a screen or just through a mm-hmm. lens much more. And, um, yeah. I, I, I can find that through the show. I can find mm-hmm. that lineage. Um, but everything, nothing's in chronological order. So right. I don't know if anybody else can see it. Um, but I mean, so I don't know. You you mentioned something about the animations the other day, and then um, there, I guess that's me. Like in some of those, like so much of this stuff is like me, tr- like trying to bring in some sort of handmade thing, mm-hmm. like scanning stuff, wrapping it around some sort of three D model, or trying to like emulate some sort of like physical dust or mm-hmm. or or a light or the actual physical thing that I could control. But I think it was the with teaching with parenting it that kind of just like got wasn't possible or or Mm -hmm. it didn't become a priority or that's the wrong word it probably it just kind of slipped out of my head and just it just like the circumstances made me do something different and i wasn't even aware of it yeah until i started like um uh yeah getting away from the computer more Mm. yeah or like or i had before I'd often like take a camera out to the world and do something stupid and film it or put some sort of object out in the world. And then, um, and then I'd stop doing that like, because I would get too frustrated about a situation I can't control. And like, and I could just like kind of, and like having less time and only being more in front of the computer. Um, but then I was mentioning there's works I was trying to finish for the show, but that like, I went back to things I used to do like where, I was making odd ways to hold a camera, taking mm-hmm. it out into the middle of Lake Michigan. Um, and those works didn't end up on the show, but, uh, and so that figuring out this way to then, and that, that just like brought a lot of ideas back, mm-hmm. like that I had, had negated. So, so balancing between the virtual and the actual, um, or I don't know if the actual is the wrong word, but, but, um, wherever the camera can go, the camera can go into this virtual space. The camera can go into an actual space. Mm-hmm. The objects can be physical and live somewhere on screen, off screen, in and again, in some sort of virtual environment, in an actual environment, or in a photograph. And then those that that play between all these different spaces kind of I think wasn't uh, kind of disappeared until. Mm-hmm. I, this show got me to think about that more and, and then just do the experience of trying to trace my steps back like 10 years to 10 years ago, or we'll just go like, we'll say nine, like so before my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. So go back. So tracing, being, having this chance to go backwards and seeing where it takes you, how it can take you forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should, um, we should, um, maybe, maybe we just close, uh, um, I think uh, the show is going to be up for how long? Three months. Three, Three months. And uh, 
It's, I mean, we didn't say much about the content of the show, but I think it's a show you need to come experience. 100%. It's a safe way to say it. Yeah. And I think there's um, micro themes that try to push into macro themes, uh-huh. maybe is a way of saying it. Um, and there's a Cheeto sculpture. There's a Cheeto sculpture, which was the way to close this is because we talked about yeah. how fitting it was. I got a picture of Dr. Snacksmill helping with the crushing of Cheetos for the Cheeto sculpture. Yeah. And um, I felt like that was a, co- a perfect convergence of um, yeah, everything, it's a, it's a everything med- coming full circle. It's I a guess. medium I know well. Yeah. Gareth knows Cheeto dust very well. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> I think if, if that doesn't make you interested in seeing this exhibition, I don't know what, what would. Yeah. But um, you should come see it. Definitely. And uh, is there... You you have a website, Richard. We'll 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 try to hunt down whatever inf- information we can and post some stuff mm-hmm. about you so people can spy on you and and maybe follow you later. Yeah. So um yeah, if you're if you're okay with being uh, people probing around and looking at your work, and um who knows we may do an exhibition catalog with this show. Mm-hmm. We're talking about some possible ideas, so so stay on the lookout. Uh, if we do it, it's going to be a good one. Yes. And um, we have some ideas, so we have to just convince Richard to let us do it. <laughs> so more tacos will be here. Um, get him really, really intoxicated, intoxicated. Um, and on that note, uh, on that note, as we always like to say, you're a fantastic audience. We love y'all, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life, in historic Shaco Bob.